Drake sharing one of my videos is one of the most surreal things that has ever happened. I mean, these two things we're talking about, two of the most surreal things that have ever happened because I am such a huge Drake fan. Like so many of Drake's songs have been huge parts of the last like 13 years of my life. Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, man. You heard it here first. He's not playing. No, Aaron's not playing. No fucking game. You got your ear to the streets, man. Much love to all the people down under. And make sure y'all follow the Hip Hop Hustle podcast, man, because they're giving y'all nothing but the real shit. But yeah, man, appreciate the intro, bro. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's kick it off. Shout out to the whole Hip Hop Hustle podcast. What's up with it? It's official. For the first time ever, we have Hip Hop Hustle podcast merch. From hoodies to T-shirts to hats and even slides, go to the hiphophustlepodcast.com to get yours. All right, there we go. Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast. I'm with the one and only, the the artist, uh, Chaney Crab, uh, fantastic artist. She's in the band Entheos, uh, all names that I struggle to say. And then you've got obviously Naveen uh, that makes up the duo, but, uh, you're in a death metal duo, but you've, you also like hit other genres like Gothic rock jazz. So there's lots of genres within your music. It's not just one tone, but for anyone who hasn't checked it out, highly recommend. It's not the usual tonality of this show, the hip hop hustle podcast, but she's been doing amazing things. The band has been doing amazing things. Um, so it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's rare for metal and hip hop, a hip hop podcast to intertwine. So when you asked me to do this, I was like, hell yeah, let's go. So well, thank you. I was like, for, for a while I've been thinking, why would I just limit myself to only hip hop? Like I love hip hop. That's my thing. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I just want to talk to people who I think are interesting. And I think that there is definitely a lane that's unexplored especially for myself, like death metal is not something I would usually go down or usually even particularly be interested in. But I think as I grow, as I talk to more people and as I'm learning, there's like so many crossover elements, even just instrumentally across the board that I'm like picking up more and more. And I'm like, oh, those drums I'm hearing in the same songs that I like. And so now I'm being able to just develop my taste a bit more. I used to be like really hard headed and be like, no, this is my one genre and I never listen to anything else. Totally. Well, we all do that. And as a metal head, you know, gatekeeping and metal is like a huge ordeal. So when I was a kid, I was a little more rigid, but I've honestly always listened to kind of all genres of music. I'm just way into music in general. And like you said, there's a ton of crossover in hip hop and metal. A lot of vocalists, like a lot of the fast like patterns that we do, we get influence from rap and hip hop and all of that kind of stuff. We all listen to it. You know, it's like uh, so and drummers. I mean, especially in Naveen, you mentioned Naveen, who plays drums in my band and writes all the music. He's like a a very... Um, he's got a lot of groove and what I'll call it like gospel chops type drumming, you know, like the sick dudes who are playing with like Erica Badu and, and awesome, like stuff like that. So Naveen brings a lot of that to the table. And there are a lot of sick metal drummers that are super groovy and have sick chops that you would see in hip hop. So it's, there's a lot of crossover there. And I think that 
it's totally unexplored you know in a large part like like hip-hop and the type of metal that I play in particular you won't see dudes like you interview us a lot but it it makes sense I think and we both come like hip-hop and metal both have this like DIY mindset that we come from so there's a lot of overlap there and I think it's it's super cool well I also think like the roots are very underground like it's not like now obviously we have mainstream of both genres but like the where it was born was like on the streets it was born where people were like what is this like devil music in in that sense and literally for for both genres they were called very similar things in terms of society and i agree i think that you know the more we have these conversations the more it's easier to be like oh no it's not that they're completely different genres it's that it's all part of the same kind of paintbrush like they're oh, all totally. they just sit slightly separately and the expression comes out differently but like the people who express that way there's not that much difference. No, not at all. Uh, and it's like they're both fairly new genres as well. I think when when are we saying the begin like hip hop began? The seventies, really? Is that? Yeah, the seventies, and then obviously then it came to eighties, and then nineties was like the the explosion almost. But it was all about mm-hmm. the streets. That's where it was. It was all about like you know being on the corners, being on with your friends, and then you know. When it started to get popularity, the media was just like, what is this? Like, we cannot promote this. This is really bad for our culture. Right. And now it's the biggest genre in the world, which is kind of crazy to think about. It didn't in like 30 years coming from the 90s to the 2020s. But like that was where oh, it exploded. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, metal, you know, we kind of grew out of bands like Black Sabbath and stuff, which was in the 60s and 70s. And then metal really like the screaming type of metal that I do really exploded in the nineties with like cannibal corpse and morbid angel and and those type of bands. We call them old school death metal bands, but they're like the forefathers of the type of stuff that I do. So both of those genres were, you know, both coming from a place where we played like dirty underground venues. I mean, when, even when I was a kid, I never anticipated that metal would be headlining like, house of blues and and bigger venues like that because i was going to shows at like vfws and in people's basements so yeah it's like there's a ton of intersection like you're saying from where we began and and yeah they're very similar i see a lot of similarities in them when you're when you started listening when you started exploring this genre Mm -hmm. what was the reaction from your parents i know that you know, your parents, I'm sure, are very supportive. I've seen you on a couple of interviews and, and you, um, you've spoken about it before, but, like, what was the initial reaction like? My parents were not a fan of my choice in music, but how was theirs? You know, you know I don't think – they were never particularly, like, not supportive of it. What they were afraid of was me getting into like drugs or anything, you know, any weird preconceived notions that they had about, you know, metal. They weren't, my mom listened to Metallica. My dad's like into Boston, but they don't know anything about death metal. So I think from the outsider's point of view, it can be like, holy shit, I'm dropping my 13 year old off at this crazy small venue where there are a bunch (laughs) of like, we're you know haggard looking people outside like it's just totally something that's so different than what they were used to um so they were worried about that stuff 
when I started going to band practice, I remember them being like, uh, are you guys doing drugs over there? Like what's going on? <laughs> you know, they just had no grasp on it at all. But as I grew and they saw that I was being serious about this and I would scream around the house and they would let my bands practice in our garage. Uh, they were super supportive. They always have been. And I'm sure that's a part of why I've felt like so comfortable pursuing this um, because I had that, that awesome support. That's, it was super important for me. And, and your voice in terms of like finding your voice in the screaming in the darkness and because you go up and down, you go into deep and then you go high and more screeching. How, how long did it take you to find that voice? Cause I think in hip hop, it's kind of, it's very similar to a talking voice that it's not as much changed. Whereas like I talk to you now and I can't see, or I can't really hear where you can go directionally when you yeah. sing. Totally. Yeah, you're right. It's like, um, there's this whole like vocal technique thing that goes into metal vocals and singing, of course, but that doesn't really go into like rapping as much because it's so close to, it's like fast spoken word. Um, so I guess like I'm still learning. I'm still constantly learning how to do new vocals all the time. There is always, there are always like some people out there doing some crazy shit that becomes like the new hot thing for everyone to learn in metal. Um, the, the new vocal technique or whatever. So I'm constantly learning. But when I first started, see, I started doing metal vocals when I was like 12, 13. Wow. And I don't think that I had a real grasp on how to do them in a live situation until I was probably 18. So that was like, that was a lot of the growth because when I started doing metal vocals, doing that sound, now there are a ton of like YouTube channels and people out there who are teaching how to do these techniques and how to like make different shapes with your tongue and your throat and all the stuff that goes into it. But when I was a kid, that was not, present like there wasn't youtube for me to go and check out and be like oh shit i just i can do this now so, so it takes like years to develop and you're just kind of uh imitating vocalists that you look up to and trying to achieve their sound so i mean yeah it's a constant process and i sing in songs too you know i've started singing in my band more recently so doing it live is really like the trickiest part. Anyone honestly can go into a studio and after, you know, a month of learning how to do vocals, you can go and and kind of do vocals in the studio. You can fake it to make it, but it's really hard to learn to pull it off live and uh in integrating singing as well. That's been like a huge exercise in like expanding my voice in a live situation as well. So you know, it's it's just an endless process. I think I'll always be chasing it until I die, probably. <laughs> well, I think it's the pursuit of perfection that keeps us going. We'll never get there, but it's like you just keep trying and hustling and just being like, oh, maybe I can add this to my skill set. But I think it's almost better that you didn't have YouTube videos because sometimes I think when everyone has the same resource in the sense of YouTube videos, it takes away something from the creativity in the sense of when you're watching someone do it, you're like, I don't really get how they're doing it, but I'm going to try and do what they're doing, but my own way. And so you're creating almost new technique by 
the fact that they're not teaching you, that you just have to watch and you have to learn and how to adapt. And I think that's probably why you stand out is because instead of watching the 30 million YouTube videos that like, I mean, 30 million view YouTube video that teaches everyone, you've taught yourself. And so mm-hmm. you stand out from the crowd. So there's something about those tutorials where I'm like, they're kind of good, but I feel like they take strip something back because they take away some of the creativity that naturally came with the genre as well. Oh, oh yeah. I It adds a lot of monotony to the genre. And it's like, you know, when everyone is, and that happens a lot. I mean, there are so many copycat artists out there, which, you know, it's cool. You're learning to do vocals and stuff, but one of the most, the coolest parts of artistry to me is being an individual and like standing out and really creating something that maybe other people aren't making. So I totally agree with that. It's almost the same as, you know, sometimes people who are, who have gone to music school, they graduated from Berkeley and they're like way into music theory. It can almost start to hinder you in a way because you start to think of things in a box. So, or like, you know, you're all taught the same exact thing and you're kind of like doing it all together. Yeah. It just adds like, um, it, it adds a monotony, like I said, to, to vocals. So I totally agree with that. Is that a problem in metal right now? Like, cause I don't listen to it that much, but do you feel like, mm-hmm. because in hip hop, I feel like that's a bit of an issue. You can probably yeah. put on a mix and most of the tracks sound the same. Technically they sound the same. The artists are trying to do the same things and it's like, they're very interchangeable. You won't really get much difference, but do you feel that as well in your own genre? Oh, hell yeah. There are so many bands who sound exactly like a a band will blow up in metal. And then, of course, there are five trillion other bands who just want to do exactly what that band did down to the the point of hiring the same artist to do their album art and all of their their merch spread, because merch is a huge thing in metal, you know, getting designs and all of that stuff. So, I mean, I wouldn't I don't know if I would see it as being a problem because I think it's always going to exist. And I truly do, you know, from what I see and perceive, I think the cream rises to the top. Like people can really sense, I think, when you're being um, disingenuous in the music that you make. And when you're trying to be someone else, that's not, that's not a genuine version of your own artistry. So personally, I think that the best stuff comes from people when they stop trying to be like other people and just accept being themselves because you don't have the same brain as other people you're never going to like achieve exactly what they are doing and beyond that the world already has one of them so people can sense that when you're trying to be just like another band I think it's obvious so it's just always going to happen especially with the internet we all there's so much music that is we can directly access and a lot of people are listening to the same shit. So, you know, it's going to happen, but the, the sickest bands always tend to stand out. Do you have copycats of yours? Like, have you seen any, any people like copying your style or your band style? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there there could be. Probably. I mean, I'm sure that we're we're copying other people in certain ways. We <laughs> kind of sound like a few, you know, people in my band came from like um, a few other prominent 
metal bands. So I'm sure that you can hear like aspects of those bands and our bands. Uh, but yeah, I haven't heard anyone who's like a direct ripoff, but I'm sure they're, I'm sure there's stuff. Well, I guess it's probably a good thing that you're not even focused on that, that you're just in your own lane, that the outside noise is the outside noise and you're just doing your own thing. I think, but I think you're definitely right that being genuine and being your true creative self is the most important. And I said it before on the show, like everyone is uniquely creative. And so when you ruin your own creativity by copying someone else, you actually like hurt yourself the most because you're just, you just start to dampen the thing that you really want to do. It starts to become a bit of a machine. And then you're always behind. Like you're always watching and going, Hey, that person I'm copying, they did this. Now I have to do this. And you're never on the new trend. You're never at the forefront. You're always just waiting. And by the time they release that new project that you listen to, and then you copy again, they're already making new music and they're ahead of you. Like there's just no, it's just not a good strategy long-term. Oh no, that band is already thinking about how to not sound like the last record they made. So yeah, it's just an, an endless chasing game. And because you released uh, your most recent project as well, The Time Will Take Us. How long was that process in terms of putting together? Because you had like singles and you had those released before the album came out. But what is the time like for a project for you in terms of the general time that it takes? Like from, are you talking about from like demoing point zero to releasing an album? Yeah. Okay. So. For that album, we started writing it. What year is it? It's 2023. So we started writing it at the beginning of 2020. Okay, wow. Within that within that time, uh, we wrote another single that's not on the album. There are a few songs that are written instrumentally that didn't make it onto the album. So we started writing in 2020. Um, COVID happened. So... Naveen, who writes all of our music, is my fiance. We live together. So we both were kind of like, let's, COVID is happening right now. Let's kind of take a chill pill, reconvene, uh, figure out where we really, really want to take this album and like execute that. Since everyone's off from tour, we don't have anything. You know, that's kind of the thing. You want to release an album and then go on tour uh, to maximize it, I guess. So so during 2020, we kind of chilled and didn't work on the album constantly in 2021 23 yeah so 21 we started working on the album really hardcore we got signed to metal blade records which metal blade is like one of the biggest metal record companies out there they're a legendary legendary label they uh brian slagle who is the president of metal blade signed like metallica back in the day so it's like big shit or he discovered metallica whatever uh, but uh, anyway, so we did that in 2021. And then I got in a, a scooter accident in August of 21. So I was like riding a, an electric scooter on the way back to my house in Santa Cruz, California, where we used to live. And I don't know exactly what happened because I blacked out when the accident happened, but I got knocked off of it. And I must have like rammed my face into a metal object because my nose was like completely to the left side like bent to the left side of my face my 
like right in here was severed away from my gums. My lips were split open from here up through my nose. Like you could see my teeth through my lip, my upper lip. So that happened. And like, you know, what I do is so reliant on mouth movement that that kind of slowed down the process because I couldn't do vocals until that happened in August. And I think that I started recording again in December of that year. That's still really quick. Like it was really quick. Yeah. And I go ahead. I was just going to say, what was the recovery like? Like, and, and cause I know you released the song absolute zero as well. I would like the going through your emotional toll of, of what that was like, but what was the recovery? I'm sure uh, apart from the, the pain of the recovery, but like also the fear of losing your art mm-hmm. would have been one of the hardest things you had to go through. Oh yeah. That, I mean, the fear of losing being a vocalist First of all, it's it's super humbling because you're like, okay, well, if I'm not a vocalist, I have to figure out what else do I mean to this world? Because I've been a vocalist for so long in my life that it does, it doesn't define me as a person, but it is a, such a huge part of who I am that the potential of having that taken away was super daunting and scary. Um, the recovery process. So I had like 110 stitches in my face and for the first God, I think two or three weeks, Naveen was, li- I was literally laying in bed and Naveen had to feed me because I couldn't, I couldn't feed myself. And I also could only eat like broth and I was eating uh chocolate chip cookie dough that his sister <laughs> sent me when I got into the accident. So that, uh, you know, that took three weeks after that, it was really hard for me to laugh or to open my mouth to to any more than like that wide. So, you know, if you've seen the videos that I post on the internet, I'm opening my mouth wide as fuck and I'm doing making weird shapes with my face, <laughs> you know? So vocals are super reliant on all of that. And um, from the time that I could start opening my mouth super wide, I think that was probably... I want to say October. So it took about a month and a half to two months to get to that point. And it still hurt. I wasn't able to like move all the way, but yeah, the, the recovery process, it was daunting in that way, the pain way mentally, it took, uh, you know, the fear of losing what I'd done, what I've done for so long in my life beyond that. It's really like, I don't think you anticipate what it's like to have uh, a facial injury. And have something that alters the way that your face looks until it actually happens to you. So it's like just getting over that mentally, you know, whether people from the outside, you know, all of my friends will be like, you look the same, you look the same, but you're looking at yourself in the mirror every day and you're like, holy fuck, I just look like a different person to myself. So getting over that, that whole thing that kind of fucks with you mentally, um, that's still something that I deal with all the time. And so I think. So what's that feeling and, and, like? Because cause you said you didn't feel like there's no way to really know it until you went through it. But now that you're going through it, you, you went through it and you're going through it. But what does it feel like when you're looking at yourself and you're like, it's different to what I'm used to? 
It's hard to explain. It's kind of like, I wish I wouldn't have taken that for granted when, you know, just like looking like the person that I've known my entire life for granted when it was happening. But I don't know. That's a strange way to put it, I guess. It's it's just hard to put in words the way that it feels to like look in the mirror and see someone that you perceive as being not the you that you're used to. So of course your, you know, your face is bloated and bloody and messed up for a while. So you kind of get used to looking like someone different, but then when you heal, you're like, okay, this isn't 100% what I was before. So it's just really hard to explain. I don't know. It takes some, um, how do you explain looking in the mirror and not like seeing the person that you've seen your entire life? It's hard to, but that's kind of what it feels like. Now, when I look back at pictures of myself before the accident, I'm like, whoa, I look weird. So it, it's that weird dichotomy that after a few years, now I look like this. Now I look like the new me, you know, whether it be, it's what really happened to me is just that my nose the like septum area of my nose is a little wider than it used to be. So I'm used to it now. And when I see those pictures from before, I'm like, whoa, I look so fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that whole thing, it's just, it, it plays with you mentally a little bit. Yeah. I, that's, I kind of like think about that when people get like very extreme facial makeovers, like yeah. when they go, and I'm like, it must do something to you mentally when you actively really change significant parts of the way you look. Obviously, for you, it wasn't active, um, but I think, you know, it's weird. I think we try to believe in ourselves that we're not as visual and what we look like and how we perceive ourselves don't, doesn't matter, but it really does. Like, I think I've had this beard for years, and I think if I got rid of it, immediately would do something to how I perceive myself, even though it probably won't change a lot. But it's like now that I'm used to it, now that it's been here for a long time, it's like a part of me. So I get that feeling of like, because I look at photos of me clean shaven. I'm like, that is way too much face. Just way yeah, too totally. much face. And <laughs> but like, That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if a dude has a beard for years and then you see him without it, like, you like it's it's completely face altering and it you look almost like a different person someone that is kind of unrecognizable so yeah that's a that's a really good analogy actually i should start using that mine is less way less painful than yours is though um <laughs> because but yeah I, I love those videos of like kids seeing their parents or their dads shave their beard for the first time and they're like so upset as to as to what they're seeing okay. for the first time. Um, but yeah, I know. I think, I think the, it's interesting because I think the recovery and the journey adds to your artistry. Like when I hear you speak about it, when I see you talk about it, it's like you have this new appreciation for the thing that you do and you come at it differently and you're more thankful that like you you're able to come back and still be able to do it so like the adversity makes you better is what i genuinely Absolutely. believe i totally agree with that you don't know what you have until you don't have it anymore so i mean doing vocals being able to do this just being able to like speak regularly it's something that 
I took for granted my entire life. And not only that, but I felt like I was taking everything for granted. When you get into an accident like that and you're like, you know, it wasn't like a near death experience, but if the metal object would have hit me, it would have struck two inches up. I could have died. I mean, it did cut through my lip. It could have cut through my skull just as easily and done something really, really bad to me. So you, st- you like the whole world seems to glisten a little more your family, your friends, like nothing, you don't take things for granted as much after something like that happens. Yeah. Well, I think that's just a good perspective to have. Yeah, I think so. I think that when something like that happens to you, you can take, there are two different paths to take. You can take the route of negativity and be like, and let this like, shitty thing that happened to you define your entire life and you can look back on it for years and and, you know start playing the blame game if i didn't do this this wouldn't have happened to me and you know the facial changes could it could really spark some dark shit and you could take a a really neg path but then there's the path of positivity which is looking at things as it looking at things as if they're serving a greater purpose in your life. Like it happened for a reason and I'm going to grow and learn from that. Uh, And I just want to take that path. You know, the people that I look up to, that's the way that they look at life. And it's something that I hope to emulate in my own life. So I don't, I never want a negative experience like that to define me. I do want it to show up in my lyrics. Of course, it's great lyrical content. It really fueled, time will take us all it's like you know it became what the entire album is about it's about time and that period of my life I was looking back on all of the life that I'd lived before that and how quickly time passes and how much things change and how in the you know a split second you can have your nose knocked to the side of your face and change a little bit so that that accident really helped create this album and I'm always going to look back on it. I'm always going to listen to it as like my healing record, my cathartic record that got me through this period in my life. Well, that's so good. I'm sure it'll help others, but it will also it also helps you and that's it's kind of like the duality of music. It's like the story of your life, but it's the story of others as they travel through life. But you were saying as well like you got back, you started being able to sing again um post recovery and then how long did it take for you to cuz i think you were saying october was when you were yeah. starting to record again you were starting to like get back into it again how long did it take after that for you to start putting this album together okay so uh it was in december that i started recording again and then we moved to nashville so that took some time we started recording again in nashville we turned the record in and it was fully mixed last June, May or June. We were listening to like final mixes while we were on a, a US tour last year. So we couldn't listen to it in a studio until the last like five days of working on it. Um, so we turned it in last May or June and then it came out in March. We had the option to put it out in November if we didn't want to wait on vinyl to be pressed. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with like the whole thing that went down with vinyl during COVID. I heard a rumor that it was because so every vinyl press was completely like 
backed up and now takes 11 months or so from what I've heard to press records, the huge vinyl presses in the country. So if you're signed to a label, they have, you know, a partnership or a deal with whatever pressing company they're going to. So I heard a rumor that it was because Adele pressed so many records that it took up like every pressing plant in the entire world. But that could just be like, you know, some random hearsay. Uh, But anyway, Adele could let us know if that's true or not. Yes, Adele, let us know. (laughs) (laughs) Was it your fault? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, we could have put it out last year if we didn't want to wait on records, but I'm a vinyl collector. Naveen, we both collect vinyl. We're like, no, we have to put it out with the vinyl. So we decided to do like the what they're calling the waterfall program, which is putting out four singles before the record comes out. Or I think that the rule is that you have to put out like half of the songs before the record comes out. So that prolonged it a little bit. So I guess altogether, it was like a three-year process, which is yeah. a long fucking time. <laughs> it is. It is. so, But but so much happened in between. So that, that does make sense because, like, I know when I hear people that, like, I've been working on this album for, like, 12 months, two years, three years, five, four years. Some people don't release albums for, like, half a decade. I'm like, I don't know how you listen to the same project so often. I hate listening to the same podcast of my own a thousand times. I'm like, I'm just so hypercritical of myself. So when you listen to it constantly and then as you're listening, you're also changing and your taste is changing as you continue and you're like, I started this 12 months ago and now I'm working on something different, but I have to like switch gears and be kind enough to myself to just not over-criticize mm-hmm. what I'm doing and, and be okay with where I'm at and, and put it out there. That's like a, a weird mental journey to be on as well. Oh, my God. It's like every time I listen to because there has to be a certain point where you're like, okay, the mix is done. But I'm the type of person and the guy who mixes our records, Mark Lewis, like he experienced this very much with working with me with the last record. Right before we turn it in, I'll be like, oh, shit, Mark, there's something that we have to change. Like I was just driving around (laughs) listening to the record. We have to change this. And that can be a thing that like that comes back to bite you, because I think that, you know, when I was a kid taking tests in school, teachers would say like the first thing that comes to you naturally is usually the best, the, the right answer. So in creating a record, usually I would say the first thing that comes to me in putting the lyrics and vocals onto a record is the best is the thing that I'm going to settle on in the long run. But I am the, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. So like I will go and listen to vocal parts that we've done after a day of working on vocals, I'll go and listen to it in my car at night and I'll come up with 50 things that I have to change the next day. So really like albums are never done. You just have to call it, a fucking day otherwise you're going to change every single aspect of it and kind of like take out what made it cool in the first place eliminate the cool factor so dude it's so easy especially right after you turn in a record it's you know the eight months before anyone hears anything it's so easy to become so hypercritical and want to change a million things and go through the anxiety of like did I 
are people going to like this? Did I even do the right thing here? But kind of like, you know, I say when you release it, it starts when you release a record, it belongs to everyone else. It doesn't belong to you as much anymore. Uh, but that really happens when you turn in a final mix. It's like, all right, this is everyone else's now. I just kind of have to like mentally clear myself and move on to the next thing because the next thing can be better. You don't have to like over polish something forever. Yeah, honestly, I think I would like go to the gym and I would go, I'd need to meditate. I'd need to distract myself once I turned it in. Like sometimes some episodes I'm like, I don't want to know the feedback on that. I just don't, there's, I don't know why I don't even understand why there's something within my own self-criticism that I'm like, I'm just going to put it out and I'm not going to look at anything and I'm just going to stay offline and I'm going to make sure that I'm just kind to myself that day. And then maybe tomorrow I'll feel like it, but yeah, it's weird just letting go. That's the weirdest thing is just being comfortable enough. I think you get used to it as you go. I mean, I do it every single week where I'm just like, I let go, but especially with an, like musically it's like your baby you've been looking after it for so long and then for you to just let go of it and then now you have to start again and you're looking at other things it's like yeah it's it's a weird thing that people don't often think about that artists go through and and you guys torture yourselves honestly it's like this (laughs) weird torture that you put yourself through where you're like i'm expressing but i'm judging my expression and i want it to be coherent and make sense and yeah it's like sometimes thankless in that sense Oh, it's, it's so true. And I mean, I'm going through it again right now because we go back into the studio next week. So we're working on like all of the pre-pro stuff right now. And we've been having meetings with our engineer because to, to like, you know, produce the songs, rewrite parts if they need rewritten or whatever before we go back to the studio. And so it, it starts at the beginning, like the over analyzing of the thing starts right in the demoing process when you're like all right man this song is like riff soup we need to dial it in a little bit so you can do that forever and that pretty much is what making a record is so well something i did want to ask you about and you touched on this earlier was like the facial expressions you make because that is definitely part of like when i look at you sing and when i look at you express yourself like especially at the beginning it's like weird it's like you're like calm you're yourself and then you go into it it's like a different shape of your face just takes a completely different look but is that part of it is being able to contort your face part of like what makes it really good in a way um I wouldn't say so. There are there are vocalists out there who don't contort their faces as much. And honestly, it's not even something that I realized I did until I started putting videos up on the internet and like they'll get plays and people will talk about my facial expressions. To me, that's just like some vocalists do it, some don't. It's just a natural part of being a metal vocalist and it's not something I took into account in any way, shape or form until I started putting those videos up on like TikTok because it's, I think it's honestly more pointed out by people who haven't listened to a ton of metal who it's kind of new to. I mean, I guess it's a part of it. It, it is something that people notice, but it's not 
anything I've ever put any thought into at all. And it's interesting because now I see videos of myself singing on stage and my singing is very dialed back. Like it's truly the polar opposite of my screaming. It's, um, and I, as a person become way dialed back on stage and kind of take it super easy when I'm singing. So it's fascinating that those, that like dichotomy of me exists and I've just never realized it before. Well, I think definitely it's entertaining seeing your face. That's what it is. It's like, whoa, that is so, it's just a different level of like entertainment that people are getting. It's like the sound and then the change from like your resting face to your, your screaming face and I think that's what stood out for me when I was watching it. And I think that's probably what a lot of people are like, whoa, that is like so interesting, like so cool to be able to totally. see you do that. But but yeah, so do you feel like there's two different parts of you from like your singing voice and then your, your screaming voice like, and you're trying to mesh them? To a certain extent, of course. And then I'm just a person who exists separately of that and isn't even a vocalist at all. You know, I'm... I am, I'm kind of both of those people as just a person as well. I'm very calm and mellow most of the time, but I also can be like, I wouldn't say an an aggressive person, but I do like make it known how I feel. So, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I guess that, I guess that there are a bunch of different parts of me that exist really. Well, something I do have to ask you about because, well, there's two things that I want to talk to you about and I try not to plan anything on the show at all, but I'm a massive fan of your mom's house and I know people have probably asked you about it and it was weird because I saw that episode a long time ago and it didn't register. Like it didn't register that you are who you are and then I was going through my back channels of like looking at music and looking at artists and I was like, hold on, is this the same were you on I went through that whole process but like how did you find out that that happened like did they reach out to you or was it just like they pulled a clip it just went on and then you found out that you were on the show I also am a massive fan of your mom's house so I don't know if you remember their super early episodes when they were like filming in their apartment but I've been watching since back then and yeah, when Tom I was fat. When Tom when, was yeah, fat. Yeah, oh, before, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been listening to that podcast for so long. And I remember saying to Naveen one day, I just feel like Christina and I would get along, like way before this happened. And um I actually I started posting videos on TikTok because if you're familiar with your mom's house. Christina goes through TikTok and finds like the weirdest TikToks. Yeah, her to TikTok put on the curations, show. and it upsets yeah. Tom to know he loves the the you know horrible or hilarious, and she loves the weird, twisted versions of TikToks. All the cool guys that she finds, all the cool guys. Yeah, and I started putting my own videos and our band's videos on TikTok because I saw it on your mom's house. So. The day, yeah, so super crazy. And uh, the day that they like had a clip of me on the podcast, I just started getting tagged in the morning by a ton of my friends. 
holy shit, Chaney, because they actually took the part of the podcast that they had my clip on. And that was their clip that they put on their Instagrams and everything to promote the episode that day. So I found out about it right when I woke up and I was petrified. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't watch your mom's house. anymore. I'm horrified about what is about to happen. So I watched the clip and I was like, they are, I've seen them make fun of so many things and they really like didn't make fun of screaming at all. I think that they came to, they were kind of impressed by it. And Christina was starting to, she was trying to yeah. do it and they realized that it's like a skill. So that, that, that <laughs> like I took a deep breath and I was fine with it from there because I thought they were, I thought it was going to be the worst roast and history you know? yeah, they, they <laughs> don't hold back they definitely don't <laughs> no. hold back on later but yeah it was very complimentary uh, yeah and then uh yeah christina giving it a go and like doing it for like three seconds and going oh, that's really hard i need a drink like i need some water and tom just being like no nah, i just <laughs> i'm not even going to attempt this i think it's like it's very cool that that was the the reaction that it that it sparked enough interest in Christina to be like, this is interesting. This is interesting enough for us to talk about. And totally. Yeah. I would, I would also be petrified. Yeah, of course. How could you not be when you are getting tagged in comedy show clips? You just, you, you expect the worst, but, um, no, it was super cool. And I believe that I reached out to Christina it was one of the two. She either messaged me or I messaged her and I was just like, this is the coolest thing ever. I'm a huge mommy. Like, thanks, Jeans. Love you. <laughs> and she replied and she talked about me again on the next week's episode. And she also included this clip from my friend. My friend Isaac uh, like did a whole guitar thing, like yeah, video to yeah, their reaction. That. Yeah, so they shared that the following week and the last yeah, it was last year at Christmas, Christina asked me to make a video for the the live show and that's why Entheos has one cover up on YouTube and it's uh Carol of the Bells. And it's because Christina asked me to do it because there's no way you're going to say no to that. I'm I'm usually very against doing like funny metal cover stuff on YouTube, but you know, when she asks, you have to do it. So yeah, it was like the coolest thing. One of the coolest things that has ever happened to me by a long shot and something I never expected to happen. But it makes me so like getting on TikTok for that alone was so goddamn worth it. I'd do it a million times over. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I think that's like one of the dreams come true to have a podcast that you listen to actively then mention you and be so complimentary and then want you to collaborate with them. It doesn't get much better than that. It, it really doesn't. I'm a huge podcast fan. Like I'm such a sucker for all. I listen to Burt cast. I listen to the viral podcast, Theo's podcast, uh, you know, and your mom's. I'm just couldn't believe that two things that I love so much crossed over in that way. Never expected me to be the person. Well, you're breaking new frontiers, and then Drake gave you a shout out as well, which is all yeah. also must have been like it's almost like you're living this weird life 
of like you're just you, you're your regular self, you're making your music, and then all of a sudden you have these interactions with people that are, you know, almost like the best in their genre. Yeah. I mean, the Drake, Drake sharing one of my videos is one of the most surreal things that has ever happened. I mean, these two things we're talking about, two of the most surreal things that have ever happened because I am such a huge Drake fan. Like so many of Drake's songs have been huge parts of the last like 13 years of my life. Uh, Nothing Was the Same is one of the records I've listened to the most over that span of time. So it's, that was insane. I'm such a huge fan of, to get acknowledged by two totally separate like arenas of people who I admire so much and I'm such a huge fan of is just, now if only, if Erica Badu can shout me out. Then <laughs> Look at you the- getting greedy where you're like, well, <laughs> let's, let's keep it going. Let's- <laughs> that's the trifecta. <laughs> yeah, let's keep keep it rolling till the Erica Badu one and then I'll I'll be then I'll be like okay this is not this is an alternate reality when I got into that scooter accident totally knocked me into a weird alternate reality it's not the life I was living before it's not a bad alternate reality to have though so (laughs) yeah right so pretty good how does Naveen feel about all this because obviously you know you two are a partnership and you're, it's weird because I think the vocalist gets a lot of attention when mm-hmm. obviously you're not, it's not just you. It's obviously all of, both of you doing really well, but like he, he must be extremely proud of like where you both are going and how you're both feeling as I'm sure you are as well. Oh God. I mean, he's my biggest fan and biggest supporter in the entire world. Like to be fully honest with you, I didn't. So Naveen and I have been together for almost 13 years. We started the band in 2015. Naveen has been in really notable metal bands. One is called Animals as Leaders. Animosity is another. The Faceless is another. He's played on huge metal records with like White Chapel and Job for a Cowboy. And he's he's very accomplished within the metal space. And I, no one knew who I was in 2015 and I was just like I don't want to be that person who like is known because she joined her she joined a band with her boyfriend who like people knew about I wanted to prove myself and I did this cover that went kind of viral in 2015 or 2014 and then Naveen kind of honestly talked me into starting this band that has become like something I'm so passionate and care so much about he talked me into starting it with him because he was like, you should be in a really sick band and I want to like make the music in it. Naveen made, he has this solo project called Flesh Rot and he made this record called Dementia Dyslexia that is to me like on the metal holy grail. So he's, he was one of my favorite musicians in the entire world before we even knew each other. Um, So like when he, so it's kind of weird that I wouldn't have wanted to start a band with him. But once he finally talked me into it, I was like, all right, let's go. And ever since then, he's been like just a champion of me as a, I mean, honestly, the entire time we've been together, he, he produced my old band. Like he's always been a champion of me as a vocalist. And it's, 
that's still how he is. He's my greatest supporter in the world. And he doesn't, he's not the type of person who cares at all about fame or any of that stuff. He like literally right now, he's just sitting in the other room writing music because that's what he cares the most about. He is one of the truest artists I've ever witnessed in my life. Like he can't stop working on music. It's an obsession for him. And that's really like what he cares about. So it doesn't like, he's just happy for me and about it all. And I think that both of us are just like, holy shit, this is super crazy and surreal, but we're going to like see where it goes. Where's it going to take us next? Yeah. It sounds like it's just continued to bring you two together. Like the, cause you, I, I did read that you had more members in the band and you scaled back and now you're a duo, but, and one of my thoughts was like, I can't imagine working with my partner all the time, yeah. living with them and having no separation. Maybe it's just obviously I haven't found the right person, but it sounds like it's brought you two extremely, like even further together in the sense of like you you just do it all, you trust each other completely. There is no ego. I'm sure there's a little bit of ego, but there's like the 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 vision is shared in where the long-term future looks like. Oh yeah. It's, it's a totally, it's added a whole new element to our relationship apart from like a romantic partnership and being, you know, engaged to each other. We have learned how to run a business together. We've, you know, we've gone through a ton of obstacles financially and everything in this band together. You have to figure out how to run the thing how to keep it going and you know we know how to work together a lot of couples will just never they never even know how the other person works or what kind of like work ethic they have because they never are faced with a situation where they have to work with the other person and um yeah so it's brought a greater understanding to our relationship of course it's also brought you know the aspect of okay we have to learn when to like cut off the the we're a band and just be Naveen and Chaney so that's something that you have to learn to deal with and and overcome we're we tour with each other constantly like I don't think most couples spend as much time together in 30 years as Naveen and I have spent together in the last 13 because we're literally constantly together we don't like being in this band is what we do for a living. We're in the same house all day, working on stuff with each other all day. When we leave for tour, it's with each other. So yeah, I mean, it is something I'm truly grateful for in that way. I love that we know each other in all of these different ways. And I love that we, because I think that it's made us more aware of like, what makes the other person tick and the you know Naveen and Cheney as partners has made our writing together like even like we ha- we ha- bring a greater understanding to the studio and to touring together and all of that stuff so it it's kind of that yin yang and a lot of people don't really get to experience that and I'm so grateful that I get to do it with my best friend and someone who I admire and respect so much i think it's scary like you're you're (laughs) through the 
you're through the other side. You've been doing it for a long time. So, but that the initial leap of like, are we really going to change this relationship from purely romantic to business? And then being able to switch off, okay, we're not talking about business now. We're going to switch that part of our brains off. And I may be annoyed at you for this thing that we're kind of talking about that we're not seeing eye to eye yet. And then I'm going to have to separate. And now we're just having dinner and we just talk about whatever everyone else talks about and, and being able to have those parts of the relationship. I think that's probably a scary thing to add for a lot of people is just like, uh, it's easier for me if I just separate it completely and then you don't see that side of me. You don't see the what I'm actually like at work. I'm sometimes like that. I'm like, you know, when I start dating people, I'm like, I kind of don't want you to watch the podcast because I kind of don't want you to see me like that yet. I need to set yeah. it up and give it context before you see me like that. So, but I think that's what it is. It's like being vulnerable enough to with your partner to be like, I'll show you my totality as opposed to just parts of it. Oh, totally. And I remember the first tour that we ever did. We we signed to a label and went on tour really, really soon. I think within the first three or four months of being a band. So I remember right before the first tour that we did when our original guitar player, Frank Costa and Evan Brewer, who still plays in the studio with us on bass, but doesn't tour with us. Um, they flew out to our house in California and we were all there to practice. And Frank and Evan were both in bands with Naveen and are both well-known in metal in their own right as well. So I was just like having a panic. I was on like an edible and having a panic attack (laughs) during that first practice. Like, I can't believe that I've convinced these people to play in a band with me. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Are Naveen and I making a huge mistake? Is this going to be like some horrific thing that we look back on and we're like, why in the hell did we do that? Is anyone going to take us seriously? Like, so it was so, so scary at the beginning. And yeah, over the years, we're now almost a decade in. So it's like, now it's, I'm not having those same panic attacks before tours. But yeah, at the beginning, it was super scary. So scary. Well, I would hope you're not having the same panic attacks. But then again, (laughs) I have... Like I have spoken to people about like getting on stage and I've done different performing on stage and I never get less nervous. Like I'm always nervous until I start, until I open my mouth and then I start talking, then I'm all good. But it's still the anticipation that makes me nervous and I'm always like to me and the only way I can describe it is like that's how I know I care. If I'm not nervous or if I'm not feeling a little bit of anxiety before I get on stage, it's like, Oh, do I care enough? And I need to check back in with myself to be like, no, you need to give a shit about this because you need to switch on and you need to feel it all before you get out there so that you can perform at your best. Yeah, I'm the same way. There's a huge pre-performance anxiety, the butterflies. I still get them anytime I walk onto a stage, no matter if I'm playing in front of 2,000 people or two people, it doesn't matter at all. I have to like, jump it out just like do jumping jacks and kind of like work it out a little bit but it's the same for me the minute that I walk on stage and like all you know the vocalist will walk on and wave at the crowd and the crowd's like clapping or whatever then then I'm like all right this is gonna be chill it's all good I'm supposed to be doing this we got this but yeah that that pre-performance anxiety dude it's it exists 
you know, you have to make your feet like walk. You're like, oh, they become like lead in a way. They just become very heavy. You walk and grabbing the mic and just like, okay, I'm doing this again. I'm putting myself out there. I'm taking this risk. And yeah, live performance is a completely different animal to doing it in the, in the studio. As you said, it's just, there's no take backs. Whatever happens, happens. and You have to just live with it. It's so true. You know, when I started doing these like TikTok, TikTok type videos, I used to get nervous in front of a camera doing those too. I would have that same sort of anxiety. It's kind of gone away. Like I'm just a little more used to it now. And I know how I want the video to look and sound and all of that stuff is in place. But uh, yeah, it was interesting. At first, I was like having that pre-performance camera anxiety. Like it's just a... Uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's like, if that feeling goes away, then I'm bored with this. Then I must be bored with it. But it hasn't yet. So, yeah. Or you're just not taking enough risks. And then you just <laughs> make it more yeah. risky and, and do all those things. But yeah, I, it, it, the, the more you speak and the more like we talk, the more I'm like, you feel very settled as an artist. You feel settled. Like in your home life, you feel settled with the direction that you're going. And I think that's a, a big struggle for a lot of artists is like the art they create is in the backdrop of chaos and it's hard mm-hmm. for them to like be able to be really directional with what they're doing. And I think, and I look at sports as well, like the best athletes tend to have a very stable home life. They have a very stable relationship. They're like very clued into their family, their kids, whatever it is. But that allows them to be really directional, really honest, really purposeful with everything that they do. And it feels like you're in that place as well of like everything you and Naveen do is purposeful because there's stability around you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I see that happen with people that I know who are in crappy relationships or they're, you know, constantly chasing being in a relationship that can almost become your entire life and then the rest of your life isn't settled anymore so uh, i mean being with naveen for the past 13 years who i who is truly my soulmate and the love of my life like that has given me has allowed me this in my home life the the calm and serenity and stability to grow as a person outwardly in other ways um whether it be you know with the band with the drawing with just reading books like that there's no uh that chaos that you're that you're speaking about doesn't really exist in my mind because I know that like everything at home is chill and calm and like I know who I am and where I'm meant to be when I'm at home and I see that happen with dudes on tour you know they'll be super partiers on tour and then when they get home they're kind of lost because they it's like, do you keep the party going? Well, if you do that, then you're, you become an alcoholic or an addict in some way. So it it is strange. It is a strange life to live, like being someone who goes on tour and then someone who comes home. And depending on how stable the home life is, that usually tends to be how well people adjust to being on tour all the time. Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think everyone likes the idea of tour. Everyone likes that idea of like you go out, you perform, you get drunk, you get hit on by all the hottest people and you're like, I'm living the life, it's the best. 
But like, I feel like that is empty. There's a bit of emptiness in that. There is like, mm-hmm. it's fleeting. And when you go home and you're by yourself again, you're like, what was that? What was all of that? Like, what was the purpose of all of it? And, and, and I think that's why a lot of celebrities probably struggle is because it is fleeting and there is no stability is just like that. It felt good in the moment, but it didn't feel good for you mentally long-term or it just didn't satisfy what you actually want. Yeah. I mean, so many people struggle with that. I'm a rock star when I'm on the road and when I get home, who am I? No one at Kroger at the grocery store gives a fuck about my metal band, you know? (laughs) So I, I think it is hard for a lot of people to deal with that, the getting cheered on every night and people asking for your autographs. And yeah, I mean, it all seems cool in theory. Touring in reality is not all that. A lot of, most of touring is driving in a vehicle. That's literally what touring is. You get to play on stage for like 30, 30 minutes a day, an hour 15 if you're a headliner. Um, most of it's driving, setting up, dealing with technical issues and like, sure, the, the gratification of having people come up to you and express that they care a lot about what you do. It's awesome, but you do have to, there does come a point if you're so used to that, where you have to like separate yourself from that and understand who you are as a person away from all of that because it can have a huge mental toll on you. Like it can, if you, if you don't understand who you are, then it's like, it's hard to exist. And touring, dude, to everyone, it seems so cool, but especially in metal, it's like you, it takes, I don't know if it is like this in other genres. It probably is. Uh, But in metal, it, you know, we don't always, the type of music that we play, it's not always like a radio friendly, genre it's not like what's super popular to the masses and what's going to make us into millionaires uh so it can be hard financially it can be hard we most of the time most of us tour in vans like 16 passenger vans and that's where we sleep with five other people every night all of that stuff as you approach your 30s and into your 40s and 50s it's like that if you aren't making money, if you aren't like able to be financially stable, approaching your 30s, it becomes so fucking hard to keep touring. And so many people like start to that starts to dampen their spirit, the financial stuff, the the toll that it will take on your body, like headbanging and doing all of that stuff. And metal bands just take a long time to build. Like the headliners of metal. Most of them have been bands like the huge headliners for like 10, 15, 20 years. And it's all cool, but it like, <clears throat> it's just really hard to do. And it's something that you can't do if you lose the love for it. So when it t- takes that mental toll, I think people can start to like lose the the passion that they once had for it. And it's not as fun to tour with five people in a van who you might not even like any of them. So all of that becomes a huge factor. Like, do I get along with my band? Do, do I feel like I'm being compensated correctly? Like all of the stuff starts to play a factor in touring and it's very hard. 
so yeah, like I said, if you lose the, if you, you, you just truly have to love it. I think that is the perfect message that you just have to love it because the rest, it's, it's not, it's thankless at times and everyone goes through it and the fun parts are only the short portion of the rest of the work that you actually have to do. Um, And I think people forget that. and, And I've, even I didn't realize until I started this and started talking to people that like, oh, no, you, you guys do so much more work than just make music. Making music is the fun part. Everything else is where you actually really earn it. That's like the the thing that is part of the grind. But, I mean, you all are doing fantastic work. I only have one more question for you. It's the only mm-hmm. question I plan on the show. It's probably the toughest question I ask. But if you had to recommend one album that everybody should listen to at least once to get an appreciation of cannot be your own music, but can be any genre of music. What would it be? Well, I'm going to go metal and it is soul Niger within by Frederick Thordendahl's special defects. So I don't know if you've heard of Meshuggah. Have you heard of this band? They're a huge metal band. All right. Meshuggah basically are the forefathers of a genre that became very popular in metal like 10 years ago they started calling it gent but it's it's really like a groovy metal thing mashuga are the fucking gods of that to all of us right so you should check out mashuga if you haven't because they're fantastic even like bill burr got way into mashuga and started talking about them but anyways their guitar player frederick thorndall has a solo project the special defects Soul Niger Within, where he's got this sick-ass jazz drummer named Morgan Ogren, who's from the Matt's Morgan band, playing drums on it. And uh, it's, to me, Soul Niger influenced, like, so many metal records. It's from 97 or 98. It sounds like, like it holds up today. It's just one of those classic metal albums that really, like, flipped the scope of metal, honestly, because before... Mashuga and Soul Niger, people weren't incorporating a ton of polyrhythms into metal. And and that whole like j- there's this whole jazz thing that exists now within metal and what we call technical death metal. And I don't think that would really exist if it weren't for that album and for Frederick Thorndahl and Mashuga. So that record is that's like to me the number one metal record ever. Well, I'll definitely have to check it out. I think my fans will have some more music to check out, but obviously your most recent album as well, The Time Will Take Us. It came out this year. Uh, great project. There's so many, so much variety on there. And as we said at the beginning of the show, we don't see it often, hip-hop and metal uh, collide and, and cross over, but as we, there, there are so many similarities across the board within genres. And as we talk, I'm like, Oh, you're not that different to the artists I speak to on a regular basis anyway. Like it's just it just comes out in a different way. So uh definitely make sure you, you check them out, Entheos and obviously Cheney and Naveen. Uh I appreciate the time you came through. You've, they've also got music videos. So we talked a little bit about TikTok, but she's on TikTok. There's music videos on YouTube and Spotify and all that jazz. But is there anything you wanted to plug, anything you wanted to shout out before we wrap up? No, just uh, keep listening to music, people out there, because music fucking rules and 
it's literally one of the best things to ever exist in the history of the world. So keep rocking. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for upcoming podcast news. Also, don't forget to check out my Patreon under Hip Hop Hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show. Bye for now.